Gaming Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 27th. Gosh, we're almost done. 2020 and episode number 456. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. Yes, October 27th. It's, it's crazy. For some reason, I thought it was the 26th. But uh, yeah, it's the 27th. That's what the little calendar thing says down there. So yeah, we're uh, almost there. We're almost to... Halloween. Yes, uh, almost. I kind of slipped up there in chat and said, yeah, we we made it. But no, we haven't made it. Who knows what else lurks around the corner for the rest of the week. We haven't even hit hump day yet. So we shall see what's going to happen. Uh, before I get too far involved, I just want to mention a, uh, a show update for next week. So no show next week. And that's due to the... Uh, the fact I'll be in a bomb shelter next uh, Tuesday night. Uh, no show next week due to the election here in the United States. Uh, not fair. No, I want to watch what's going on, too. Uh, and you should be, you know, watching what's going on with the country here. Uh, unless you don't live here, then then just watch something else. Uh, watch Sherlock Holmes or watch uh, Supernatural, something else. Uh, but don't watch this mess that's going on here next week. Uh, so, yes, no show next Tuesday, but uh, we do have this Saturday. How fun. Finally, uh, a nice holiday. Halloween right around the corner. Hopefully we make it. Nothing major happens between now and then. Yikes. It's what a year. Uh, Halloween is weird. And, and unfortunately, I mean, a lot of things have suffered because of COVID-19 this year. A lot of things. Uh, but uh, manufacturers, candy manufacturers, Halloween People, I don't know what they, there's a word for those people, but uh, everybody in the Halloween industry has been waiting for this day, honestly, for years for Halloween to fall on a Saturday. It also falls on a full moon, which uh, incidentally is the second full moon of the month, which makes it what happens once in a blue moon. So I guess it's a blue moon, right? Yeah, it's uh, twice in a month. Uh, so, yeah, it's on a Saturday, and it's also, you add all that together, plus it's also when daylight saving time ends, it's over. So we get a, we get an hour again. Clocks go back an hour. You don't really gain an hour because you lost it in the springtime, but uh, techni technicalities, who cares? I got an extra hour this weekend. That's all I care about. I like staying up an hour later on Saturday night when the clock's, uh, at 2 o'clock or one fifty nine, it goes back to 1 o'clock. I love watching that on my computer because then I get a free hour. Otherwise, if you go to sleep, you kind of lose it, right? You don't really know what happens. So I like to enjoy my one extra hour. So enjoy the weekend. And, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. But plenty of news for you tonight. A lot of weird stuff. Uh, not a, Not as much ghost stuff as I was hoping would uh, kind of you know, be stirred up through, you know, the, the thinking of the holiday. But I, I don't think a lot of people are in the holiday spirit. Uh, as far as Halloween, eh, except for all those pumpkin-flavored things out there, mostly coffees that people are enjoying, candles that they're burning. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I don't really know how much people are really in the, the Halloween spirit this year. I think a lot of people are tired of being at home, and they'd rather be on a cruise ship. Well, wait, maybe they wouldn't want to be on a cruise ship. Uh, maybe on vacation somewhere with nobody else around, I guess. So we got uh, a lot of news from all over the world tonight. And it uh, looks like every single of my major categories, so cryptozoology, UFOs, we got a story from the ghost field. I had to have something on ghosts tonight. And uh, we also have uh, another story, which is a sad story, uh, coming up at the end of the show. So... Eh, got nothing else to talk about. I'm not going to talk about events. Nothing like that tonight. So let's jump into the news. 
on this cold and dreary, I don't know about you, but it's rainy and cold and dreary. It's, it's October. When you think about October, you think of cold and rain, and that's what it is here in uh, Northeast Ohio where I'm at. It's dark when I get up to go to work, and it's dark when I come home. It's, it's fun. So let's start off in cryptid news. And uh, speaking of cold, wet, and mysterious, I don't know about mysterious, but uh, we're going to go, let's go all the way up to China for our first story. Well, North Korea, depends on which side of the lake you're on. And we're going to talk about, uh, we've talked a lot about the Loch Ness Monster this year. And gosh, it seems like the last few years, Loch Ness Monster is always one of the biggest stories of the year. Uh, but we have a, a little lesser known lake monster uh, from the China, I guess it's south, I guess south uh, east China and in, in northwest North Korea. Um, this creature is called the Lake Tianchi monster and resides in, well, where else? Lake Tianchi, uh, which is also known as Heavenly Lake of Tianshen or Heaven Lake. And I guess that depends on where you're at or around the lake or what map you're looking at. And whether you're in China or North Korea, uh, Heaven Lake is a, a really weird-looking lake. And it, you wouldn't know it if you look at just normal pictures of it when you are uh, you see, like, docks and boats and, and beautiful snow-capped mountains in the background. But if you see a view of this lake from uh, kind of a distance, you notice that it's really high up. Uh, it's actually in a caldera. So it's, it was formed from volcanic activity. So it's in the, the remains of a volcano, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it was formed after a massive volcanic eruption back in 946 AD. That was a long time ago. Uh, it's a beautiful lake, though. It's, uh, again, surrounded by snow-capped mountains. Very picturesque. I'd love to go see that. Uh, but until you, again, stand back, you realize it's just a lot of water and a giant volcano. It's a pretty big lake. Uh, it's a few miles across. I think it's about three miles across and uh, I think about almost four miles long. It's pretty big. Uh, the lake actually does straddle North Korea to the southeast and China to the northwest. I always have to picture a map in my mind when I think about those directions. Uh, it's recognized by the Guinness Book of Records as being the highest volcanic lake in the world and is considered a culturally significant area to all Koreans. It's covered with ice from mid-October until mid-June, but the creature that is said to live there has uh, it's been there since at least 1903. It's been documented since that time. It's a pretty remote area. And this latest sighting comes from a caretaker at the mountain uh, the only name I found for him was Mr. Yu. That's Y-U. You? Not you. Mr. Yu. Uh, Mr. Yu was taking video of the lake and managed to get a black creature swimming in the water. He took a video that was taken uh, at about, uh, about 1,640 feet above the lake. And the lake itself is pretty high up in the, in the, uh, off of the, the ground so that's kind of cool and i don't know if you've seen this i do have a couple of pictures i will share in chat and that's one of many reasons why you should be hanging out in chat you get some extra photographs of this uh, all these well i shouldn't say all the stories some of these stories uh this one here is um i don't know not so good i mean look at that picture so this is kind of a, a picture taken far back. You can kind of tell that this is a lake that's up in the air. Uh, but there's other pictures that you, you would have no idea it's actually in a caldera. But this one here, it's a very far picture. And you can click on that picture. It'll make it bigger. And, uh, yeah, you can see it. It's right there. You see it? See the black little black dot? Yeah, I don't know how we saw it. It's it's so small. It's it's. I've hurt my eyes trying to find this thing in this picture. Uh, there is a another picture that I'll share. Uh, so Mr. Yu did not see the black dot initially. But when he finally did, he continued to film it. Uh, again, I don't know how he saw this thing. 
uh, in the uh, there we go. So here's a zoomed, cropped picture of this black dot that he found that he swears is the Lake Tianchi monster. And uh oh, well, it didn't work. Didn't work. Looks like I broke it. Uh, let's try it again. Tianchi monster. Yep, so he's not going to work. Well, we'll figure that out here in a second. But uh, So we did see this black dot. And he says uh, it, it's not a boat. So he says he's seen similar things in the lock over the years. Um, he's a caretaker on the uh, volcano, basically, uh, in the park. It's, I guess it's a big park there. And he has seen these things before, actually filmed these things before. So he's familiar with the area, but he says this time it's not a boat. There were no boats out on the lake. So uh, I guess due to uh, COVID, everything's shut down there right now. And uh, the area being so remote, it's, it's actually all closed up. Well, I can't get this picture to work. Oh, well. Well, we'll figure this out. Um, so, yeah, could not have been a boat, he says. Definitely not a boat. Um, that's a, a lot of real estate out there, but I guess there's only one road that goes up to this area. So it's closed and nobody there. But that still doesn't explain what this black dot is. Uh, so we don't we don't really know. And again, it's like a mile away from this thing. So don't really know what this thing was, if it was a creature, if it was a monster. Um, one can always speculate, but well, let's see. Try to find another image of this thing here. There's a lot of other pictures of this creature that's floating throughout time. I can't find the one that I had. Oh, well, well, we'll move along. So maybe that's not one of the greatest reasons to come to chat. Uh, but uh, every now and again, I do have some good photographs in there. Technology happens. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if anything comes of this. I, I doubt it. Uh, news from that side of the world uh, tends a, to take a long time to get to us for some reason. Uh, although this just happened recently. Uh, but uh, yeah, you never know how things are being changed, I guess, but to the general public. Uh, but still a strange story. Uh, it's just a little black dot in the water. You can't really identify anything. Uh, I don't even know how he saw this thing. And it's, you know, it's a glacial lake. So it's not as if, uh, you know, I don't know about birds and things like that, but it's awful big, whatever it is, even though it's pretty far away. So we don't know what it was. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, I agree, Bill. Could have been. China just didn't want me to post that picture. So it was a wrong picture format, even though it's a JPEG. I don't know. Jeez, being censored. That's craziness. I guess it happens. All right. So that's our, I don't know. I guess that's kind of the big story. I've seen that uh, all over the place, all over the media, all over social media, uh, as being probably one of the bigger cryptids uh, stories uh, this week, but a kind of a new story. I don't know if it was uh, released today or not. Today was the first that I've seen it. Now, you might remember earlier in October, and I was just talking about how we've talked a lot about the Loch Ness Monster this year and previous years. So earlier in October, I reported on a sonar find in Loch Ness from a tour boat operator where he thought he found the Loch Ness Monster toward the, the lake's floor. I think it was uh, 100 and 190 meters down. Sounds like a cool movie, right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was down on the floor. We don't know what it was. It could have been a shoal of fish, so a collection of fish down toward the bottom of Loch Ness, but we don't know. We don't know. It was only captured the one time. Uh, however, that was, uh, let's see, it was recorded on September 30th. However, on October 11th, 
now making the news. Uh, another piece of sonar data was recorded showing something large, again, just above the bottom of the lock. This sonar find was captured by Ronald McKenzie of Cruise Lock Ness, which is same guy and same company that also captured the September 30th image. Uh, the previous image was initially said to be of a 32-foot-long object, which has now been estimated by experts who have uh, analyzed the sonar data to only be about 15 to 20 feet long. That's about half, pretty much, uh, from what they had estimated. So ah, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, if you're off by that much. But I don't know. Uh, no, no word on what the uh, sonar experts thought uh, that this blob was, although you do see a lot of fish in that particular image. Um, I don't know. I would think that it would be a collection of fish or, or a shoal of fish. But the second sonar contact, uh, again, happened a couple of weeks later. Uh, well, about 12 days later, give or take. Uh, this one occurred about a mile from the previous capture. And I guess the first one was when they were coming in to dock the boat. And so this one was a mile away, and hopefully, got my fingers crossed. I don't have any chickens to sacrifice. We'll see if this picture works in chat. And we'll see. Yay, success. Uh, so here's another picture. This is the, the new one. And again, you see uh, a red line. And that's the uh, basically the surface well, I should say the, the bottom, the surface of the floor. Does that make sense? So that's the floor of Loch Ness. And this uh, the little blue light things above that are basically reflections. Could be fish, could be other uh, debris, uh, larger debris just reflecting the sonar. But this uh, solid, bright object, of course, they've got to circle it in red because that's what we do, uh, is this uh, strange image that uh, of interest that shows up and it could be again it could be a shoal of fish but i'll tell you people are going crazy over this uh, image uh, craig wallace who's an expert sonar operator he actually discovered the real loch ness monster four years ago using some new and sophisticated sonar equipment don't know if you remember this one but yeah loch ness monster was already discovered well really wasn't a real live nessie it was actually a model of Nessie that had been used during the filming of the movie The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes back in the 1970s. The model uh, sank, so it's it's down there if you want it. I don't think they I don't think they brought it back up, but it's it's down there. Uh, Wallace has offered to come back to Loch Ness and do even more surveys, maybe find something else if, of course, if somebody's willing to sponsor it. Ooh, let me check the prize closet. Uh, nope, 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 nope. All I have is T-shirts. I don't have any cash. Uh, so that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to sponsor this. But uh, we'll see if somebody steps forward and says, hey, maybe Bud Light will want to do a uh, Loch Ness Monster brew this time instead of a Area 51 uh, beer. Uh, I don't know what uh, the alien one was green. So maybe, I don't know, maybe this one's... A brown can? I don't know. Loch Ness Monster. That would be kind of cool. We'll see. But I doubt it. Uh, we shall see. And, it's, of course, it's getting colder. I don't think anybody's going to want to do uh, sonar searches out there when it gets that cold out. But we shall see. Maybe the springtime will bring some some sonar operators out there to Loch Ness and um, comb for this. But it's, it's creating a lot of uh, debate about the potential for the Loch Ness Monster. And as you remember, uh, the Otago University study, it seems like yesterday, that uh, basically proved through DNA research of Loch Ness uh, all, all around the loch at different depths that there is no large creature in Loch Ness at all. But uh, here we go. People are jumping on the bandwagon again. So Loch Ness Monster is, is the creature that will never die. I would say about 500 years from now, people will still be talking about the Loch Ness Monster. 
And uh, yeah, never going to go away. But uh, again, this could just be a shoal of fish. So, well, so question in chat is why don't they send a camera down? Well, um, Loch Ness is, so where it's at in Scotland, uh, surrounded by uh, hills. And it's very, I don't know what the word for it is, uh, very thick in uh, kind of sediment. So it's like, uh, what, what am I, I'm searching for a word here, kind of like a, a, almost like a bog type thing. So that water is very, very brown, very, very dirty. And I remember a few years ago, uh, they put in a, a camera in Loch Ness and you, you were allowed to, uh, I think some people were allowed to control it or whatever. It was just moving around Loch Ness and you could actually see underwater. And I'll tell you, you could probably see maybe three feet in front of you. Uh, but granted, when you do get down at depths, I mean, we're talking uh, 190 meters, that's a few hundred feet down, you're not going to see, it's going to be dark down there. So you're probably not going to see anything. I, I don't know if you've seen uh, pictures in the 1970s, they sent cameras down. They found like that triangular uh, flipper. Uh, actually, no, that was a sonar. But they had uh, different objects seen down there. And you literally can only see, even at depth, maybe 10 feet in front of you, if you're lucky. Uh, the, the water, the current is constantly moving through Loch Ness uh, due to the wind and just, you know, water moving through that strange shape of a lake. And, you know, I'll tell you, I've gone swimming here in Lake Erie, our closest, largest body of water. And, yeah, when you're in the shallow parts, you can't see but three, three to five feet in front of your face. But uh, I've been out there about three to five miles out there at the lake, and you can jump in and you can see, you know, 30 to 50 feet down toward the, the bottom, depending upon where you're at. Um, if you're not in too dark, too deep of an area, if you know where to go. Uh, you can see shipwrecks from the surface looking down uh, if you're on the, a calm day to see that. But uh, Loch Ness, no such luck. It is uh, pretty dark due to the surrounding um, makeup of the, the ground I mean, you could just—you'll never see anything down there, unfortunately. Um, that's one of the coolest things that I think about. It's, it's the mystery behind the Loch Ness monster. There's no way to really see it, uh, although there's been talks of them putting in—I don't know what happened with this—but they were going to put in um, the thing that would drain part of Loch Ness to create hydroelectricity. And of course, people were freaking out over—you uh, can't kill the Loch Ness monster. Uh, but maybe that would be kind of cool to, like, dam it off and, and just drain it for a couple of days and see if one turns up. Who knows? be kind of cool. Yeah, maybe not. Again, I think that it's cool that the mystery lives on, even though science has continued over and over again to say it's not real. It doesn't exist. But uh, belief is sometimes stronger than science. And speaking of science... LiveScience.com released a, a story uh, over the weekend uh, on UFOs. So we're going to switch gears to UFOs. And, uh, you know, most stories on UFOs and aliens that you read nowadays, well, except for the government stuff, um, is, you know, so they're always focused on UFOs flying around the skies, right? Um, purportedly piloted by extraterrestrials. You know, they're just flying around for whatever reason on vacation or, uh, they're just watching us, spying on us for whatever reason. Maybe on vacation from their home planet. I don't know. Uh, or maybe these stories are on our attempts at capturing or heck, even sending out a signal to hear or be heard, I guess, by intelligent life forms out there. Hopefully more intelligent than us. Desperately need that. Uh, but a recent story, again, published by Live Science, produces... Um, a study, information on a study which suggests that potential intelligent life forms surrounding over 1,000 nearby stars, well, they might be watching us right now. hope they're not listening in right now. That would be really spooky because they would think I'm talking about them. Right. 
Uh, we've also talked about exoplanets on the show over the years, with the topic being on one that continued to grow through the years, uh, but has seemingly quieted down in the last few. I haven't really heard too much on the exoplanet front uh, lately. Every now and again, there are a few planets here and there discovered. Uh, and it's, it's just really astounding how many have been discovered. How many? Well, 4,292 confirmed planets beyond our solar system, which are orbiting 3,185 stars. Yeah. Um, scientists continually study the stars in the sky to determine which planets are out there. And they do that by analyzing, uh, they watch these pinpoints of light. And of course, planets move faster than stars uh, when you're looking at them through a telescope. And what happens is uh, they'll go behind a star. So they go behind their sun, I guess. I don't know what they call it. I'm sure they have their own name if there's intelligent life there. And you can tell the chemical composition of these planets by when it transits the uh, star. And it's got to be really, got to be at the right angle to see this. So we've probably only touched the, the tip of the iceberg, uh, but Almost 4,300 confirmed planets. That's that's a lot uh, beyond our solar system, of course. Sorry, Pluto. Uh, the planet-seeking satellite, which is called the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, and that's a mouthful, and you know why they call it the Transited, Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite? Well, because it has the acronym TESS, of course. Uh, yes, it has uh, discovered 4,292 confirmed planets orbiting 3,185 stars. Uh, when we look closer at those planets uh, and attempt to see their chemical composition and if they would be good candidates to be able to, to have uh, evolved intelligent life forms or sustained life in general, uh, that's the focus right now of, of these planets. You know, is the solar system good and are these planets in a, a basically habitual zone? So where Earth is, we're pretty lucky. If we were too far or closer to the sun, uh, we'd all have bacon for skin. And if we were too further away, uh, well, this would be uh, Planet Hoth, pretty much. There's your Star Wars reference for the night. Um, so we're lucky. And if we were too close, life might not be able to uh, uh, take off and evolve to what we've uh, – sorry, I know – some people don't believe in that, but uh, wouldn't be to be able to evolve, evolve where we're at, or if we were too far away, the same might have happened if it was too cold. So we're lucky. I mean, really, really lucky that uh, certain things haven't happened on this planet, and we are able to have uh, sustained intelligent life on this planet. It's just a, a crapshoot, really. Uh, so this latest study puts a spin on our observation by asking, would any of those planets out there containing intelligent life be able to observe Earth transit in front of their sun to be able to study the light changes to determine the possible chemical composition of our planet's atmosphere, just as we have done? And maybe they'll say, hey, look, you know, we did this 30 years ago. Now we see it again. And. The planet's heating up. That means they're burning fossil fuels. That means they're really, really dumb people. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's like somebody's watching us out there. We could be on somebody's uh, telescope. Somebody could be reporting about this, about us right now on that planet. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, so, yeah, you know, planet would have to be just at that right angle again for us to be seen just as you know we've only seen a few thousand out of the possible millions of planets that are out there um well i guess uh, the answer is yes and the expanded answer is so far 1004 star systems would be able to see the earth transit in front of the sun and would also be able to tell that our home could harbor life. So I guess there's a one in a thousand chance, one in a thousand four chance that uh, somebody else could see us. 
or I guess something. I don't know if someone or what, how that works. Uh, Lehigh University astrophysicist Joshua Pepper, a co-author of the paper, stated, quote, only a small fraction of exoplanets will just happen to randomly be aligned with our line of sight so we can see them transit. But all of the thousand stars we identified in our paper in the solar neighborhood could see our Earth transit the sun, calling their attention, unquote. Uh, so we could be getting the attention of some of these planets out there, which would be, uh, I should say, star systems. So there's multiple planets that could be in these star systems. Uh, analysis of the stars reveals that about 5% of the stars are too young for intelligent life to have evolved, uh, leaving a lot of room for potential life out there to spot us. Well, there are also systems that cannot currently see us, but will be in a position to do so in the near future, as uh, obviously everything in space is in motion. And we didn't know this, I, I guess. I think we know this. When we launched uh, certain things out into space, We, one of the initial uh, SETI uh, launches uh, a burst of uh, information was aimed toward an area that is, by the time the sound gets there, it's going to be long gone. So this is just, it was a wasted kind of effort right there. But um, I, I think live and learn, I guess. Hopefully we live through this and uh, we learn from our mistakes. Uh, so the next step is to focus intelligent life hunting operations on those specific 1,004 star systems with SETI's Breakthrough Listen program. So SETI stands for Standing, I'm sorry, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or some call it the uh, silly effort to investigate because, hey, UFOs are already here, right? Uh, but SETI, uh, Breakthrough Listen program, uh, they just uh, basically commandeer uh, different telescopes, uh, radio telescopes uh, around the, the globe and listen in and uh, try to search for signals in specific areas to see if there is anything out there that is not explainable, that is not natural, that hopefully we can take as a uh, some sort of message floating through space, which would be cool, which would be really cool. Uh, so it's designed to detect communications carried out by advanced alien civilizations. And Sometimes that leads to other discoveries, but we hope that one day we do discover this. Uh, it's going to turn the, the whole world on its ear if this does happen. But we've had a couple of warm-up exercises with the, uh, the wild signal uh, from Columbus, Ohio. Gosh, was that 40 years ago now? So, I don't know. We shall see. And hopefully, um, hopefully something does happen eventually. But, uh, you know, stuff like this. These findings are, are nice. That uh, We contemplate the, the possibility that somebody else out there is at a technical exploration level, maybe above where we are, maybe a Star Trek kind of stuff where they have these big spaceships that can fly through space and come visit us, knock on our door, and uh, bring us apple pies, see how we're doing. And uh, hopefully it doesn't... Uh, put us in uh, like slime like on the matrix so we can power their machines because you know that might happen that would be our luck i would think uh, but uh ufo stories i'd say one of the most interesting ufo stories this week comes from hawaii uh really interesting kind of saw this unfold a sunday morning i'm old i, I go to bed early uh, so, uh, Saturday night, out in Hawaii, uh, a series of strange objects fell from the sky, prompting a flood of videos and a flood of panic on social media. Uh, all sorts of stuff was falling from the sky, and, and people were panicking. Uh, this, uh, these objects looked, I guess, pretty big from uh, what I've read. Uh, some of the people have their statements toward the media. Uh, so a slow light trail, so a bunch of large dots in the sky, some of, well, I shouldn't say all large, but some smaller dots, uh, this stuff just like flowing across the sky uh, was going slowly 
but it didn't act like a meteor, so people didn't didn't think it was a meteor. And it was also visible for several seconds. So, you know, a meteor generally is is a flash of light. You might see some streaks, uh, then it's gone. Three to five seconds at most, and uh, that's it. It's over. You know, it's, it's happened so fast. You, sometimes you your brain doesn't have time to process even what happened until a second or two later. But this, uh, people were able to observe this, take out their phones, put it in video mode, and uh, follow along in video mode. So people were, were seeing this. And uh, let's try my luck again and throw a picture in chat. Yeah, where is Dia? You missed her. Uh, I know she uh, spends a lot of time with her uh, plants this time of the year, but geez, she makes it back. As long as she's here for my MUFON sighting statistics uh, guesses, that's pretty good. So here's a, uh, a picture of uh, these dots. So you can tell they're not in a straight line, which would tell you that it could possibly be the Starlink satellite. So I told you uh, there was a launch over the weekend of... Uh, was that last weekend? There was another one uh, this weekend as well of Starlink satellites. But these tend to be in a straight line, uh, would be the same intensity and brightness. They're not going to be uh, various as we see here. They're not going to be kind of scattered like these were. Uh, so, yeah, different sizes. But they, they did follow the same pathway. But, they again, they weren't in a line. Uh, a lot of people were confused. A lot of people were concerned. And a lot of people were stumped over this. Even experts initially had no idea what people were seeing throughout all the islands in Hawaii. Uh, Kuipo Kanawaliwali. Yes, that's a real name. Kuipo Kanawaliwali. Well, she was able to film the trail of lights as they passed under the bright moon. Probably one of the coolest videos. Uh, unfortunately, the brightness of the moon and the darkness of the sky... Uh, kind of made it go in and out of focus, but really cool to see them go in front of the moon like that. Uh, Kawanawali, sorry, Kanawali Wali told KHON about her experience. Uh, she said, quote, I started videotaping, and when they got closer, I started freaking out because I'm like, oh, what in the world is this? Unquote. Uh, on her Facebook page where she showed the video, she also commented, that the object appeared huge. So it's got to kind of be a little scary. You see something fall from the sky uh, that looks ginormous, and you're not sure what it is. Uh, Sherry English also had a video where she and her family seemed uh, pretty concerned over what they were seeing. Uh, should, a few moments that should have been bleeped out. Uh, of her experience, she said, quote, We didn't know what it was, where it came from. It just appeared. It was actually... Very eerie, a very eerie feeling, unquote. Uh, so all of this confusion was punctuated by the fact that even the experts didn't seem to have an answer at first, uh, although there was some speculation. And uh, by Sunday evening, which is, you know, a whole, gosh, nobody, not 24 hours, but like 18 hours, you know, that's an eternity when you're talking about this generation and, uh, 24-hour news cycles have been around for a long time, and we have social media. I can find out what's happening on the other side of the planet in less than a second. Uh, it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, 18 hours. So Sunday night, uh, an answer was coming into focus, and it uh, pretty much was what a lot of people thought all along. And uh, when I first saw I watched the video a couple of days ago, and I thought, and I have no idea what that is. That's pretty cool. But I could tell it was obviously something falling uh, from space. It wasn't uh, an airplane like a lot of people thought. Um, and I figured it was space debris, but I figured that they would know because they track all sorts of stuff all the time. And I was kind of surprised that initially they didn't know, uh, which kind of concerned me. But I figured it was still more or less space junk of somebody's stuff, probably the Russians. They leave all kinds of stuff up there. They've got all kinds of toys floating around our planet. Uh, but yes, space junk was returning to Earth. That's what the lights were. And uh, like I said, many people thought it was a plane crashing because it was so giant, so big. 
and slow moving in the sky. So it seemed like it was a lot closer than what it really was. Uh, some speculated it could be, again, SpaceX's Starlink satellites, which uh, kind of were in the area sort of a few thousand miles away. Um, or, I mean, obviously, more than more than likely, just a, you know, just a bunch of UFOs on vacation who wouldn't want to visit Hawaii. Uh, an article by the International Business Times seemed to suggest that many debated that this was actually a mother ship of the aliens come to check us out, I guess. Uh, kind of a weird-looking mothership. But I guess if you watch the video, uh, other than the one that it passes in front of the moon, which you can clearly see it's just individual uh, points of light, that does look like it could be a giant ship with lights on. So I do agree with that. It's pretty cool. If you think about in that kind of mode of thinking when you're watching some of those videos, it does look like a solid object moving through the sky with, uh, you know, lights on inside the inside the craft. So I guess I kind of see that a little bit. Um, Chief Scientist John O'Meara of the W.M. Keck Observatory near the summit of Mauna Kea stated, quote, so in all likelihood, what they saw last night was the re-entry of a rocket booster that was from a rocket that was launched in 2008. So a Chinese rocket that was boosting up a communication satellite for Venezuela, unquote. Yeah, they're not 100% sure. Uh, I don't think, I haven't heard anything reported to uh, confirm this, but uh, uh, from radar tracking and radar data and from... Obviously, the, the witnesses, people who, who shot this, the videos, and from satellite telemetry. So they track all these satellites, uh, these parts and pieces that are flying through space, the larger ones. And they all have you know, a, a pathway that they follow. Uh, this debris, which is, a, again, thought to be this uh, rocket booster, uh, a Venusat-1 a rocket booster, uh, the orbit of the, of this uh, rocket booster would decay over time. Uh, so it's been up there for quite a while, since 2008. So it's been up there since the show's been on the air. That's kind of crazy. It's crashing down. I hope that's not uh, a metaphor or anything. Um, the object was captured by the Earth's gravity to finally meet its end. Uh, so yeah, the flight path estimated by witnesses and videos uh, lines up with where the rocket's path uh, would have been had it continued to uh, circle planet Earth. Uh, but, um, you know, it reaches that point where it starts to move in uh, at a quicker rate and a quicker rate, and then that's it. It's over. And we get a fireworks show. And you're lucky if you get to see anything like this. Uh, it's pretty hard to uh, to see a dazzling light show like what they had. Uh, but you got to be in the right place, and you got to be looking at the sky at the right time because... Yes, it lasts longer than meteor shower, but it's over in just a few seconds. So good for them. Um, yeah, it did cause a lot of panic, though, which is it does get a little scary with things like that. All right, from Hawaii. Well, we'll stay in the United States for a little while as we go into ghost news. And I know it's almost Halloween. And I'll tell you, I, I work in retail, so uh, a lot of people talk about the um, the holidays being over. I'll just come out and say it. Uh, yeah, the holidays being over. We can't wait. But uh, yeah, we're not even at Halloween yet. But it's it's around the corner. Once Halloween hits, once Halloween's over, uh, it's obviously it's already less than thirty days to Thanksgiving, and then. Of course, Christmas is right around the corner from that. So we're only a couple of months away uh, to the major holidays of 2020. And that's usually when you hear about top tens. And, well, we got a top ten for you now in October. But I know it's too early for that. But it's almost Halloween. So this has to do with... Uh, the 10 best haunted destinations 
of the United States. Not that you really want to be traveling right now, but if you were, these are some of the most haunted places. And this is a story from 10 Best and the United, I'm sorry, the USA Today online magazine. So I guess 10 Best does uh, countdowns for a lot of stuff. I've talked about them before. Uh, so experts nominated 20 places that most fit the description of purportedly haunted locations. Now, I'm not sure who those experts were. I wasn't involved. Uh, but they did have a few good places in this countdown. Um, from the 20 locations, readers on 10 best voted for the best and left the top 10. Uh, number 10 on the list. I'm all excited. I get to do countdowns. So, you know, gosh, after this show, again, we're off next weekend. And so we'll come back first full week. So we'll have passed the November. So, gosh, we're hitting the home stretch of the year. It's, it's pretty much the running toward the finish line. So it's almost time for the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020 already. Gosh, it's happening fast. I better start doing some work on that. Of course, I think we all know what that number one story is going to be. Uh, meanwhile, number 10 on our list of best haunted destinations in the United States Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park in Mandan, North Dakota, where it's said that Lieutenant Colonel George Custer haunts his former home, as, as does his uh, wife, Libby. Pretty exciting. Uh, number nine on the list, the Winchester Mystery House. No relation to the guys on Supernatural. I don't think so. Uh, San Jose, California is the location of this home. Uh, the house was... Uh, Built, I don't remember, late, early, early 1900s. Uh, more than 160 rooms, late 1800s, I forget. Uh, more than 2,000 doors. And some of these doors, you open it up and there's a brick wall. Some of them, I, I think there's a few that you open them up and there's, you just would fall right off the house. Uh, it's believed that Sarah Winchester, the widow of the firearm manufacturer, purportedly kept making the house weird adding on rooms, adding on doors, and so hard to navigate in order to confuse the spirits of those killed by the guns produced by her late husband. Well, that's one story. I think that's what they tell you when you go there. And I think that came from a medium from Boston that told her that, if I remember my research correctly. Uh, number eight on the list is uh, the first one that I've been to. On this list so far, Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. The former tuberculosis hospital is known as the most haunted place in the United States and possibly one of the most haunted places in the world. Um, honestly, I wasn't that impressed. Uh, I think the death tunnel is pretty cool. But uh, oh, I, I didn't uh, I didn't experience anything there. Other than the feeling of getting ripped off. Uh, wasn't that exciting. Uh, it's very, very noisy because it's up on a hill. And there are no windows in most of the floors of that building. And you can literally record people having conversations on their patio. Uh, people having conversations on their phone when they're walking their dogs. Uh, and the constant drone of traffic will give you a headache. It is um, not the best place to conduct an investigation. And really and truly, I, I was really let down by Waverly Hills. But uh, it's an icon. Everybody knows it from all the TV shows. So it makes the list. And I, I guess, you know, a lot of people have experiences there. Not me. Uh, number seven, West Virginia Penitentiary from Moundsville, West Virginia. And this is a prison that opened in 1876. And it's got a pretty dark history. And uh, I've also visited that location, and I can tell you I had, uh, in one night, I had a number of experiences in that location. And the feelings that I got being in that building, not that it means anything, paranormally speaking, but just the, the feelings and emotions that I got from that place uh, made me want to go back. And that says a lot, uh, because Waverly Hills, I could care less if I ever see that place again. But uh, yeah, Moundsville was exciting. Definitely uh, worth it to be on this list, in my opinion. 
Uh, number six, St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum in St. Augustine, Florida. Where else? Uh, this was also built in 1876 and also has a lot of ghost stories attached to it, as does the entire area. I mean, you're talking pirate history there. It goes back a few hundred years. So uh, a lot of stuff happened in St. Augustine, historically speaking. Not just, I guess any lighthouse has a lot of ghost stories attached to them. Uh, number five, the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. Another place I uh, haven't actually been into, but I've seen it. You can see it on the uh, one of the roads coming from the uh, airport. If you're going to Key West, been to Key West more times than I can remember. Um, not only is this museum built with the remains of a Civil War era fort, but it also contains one of the most haunted dolls known to man. No, not that one. Another one. Yes, Robert the Doll, also known as Robert the Haunted Doll. Pretty creepy guy. Um, his feet are all worn out because he gets up and walks around at night. You got to ask for his permission to take his photograph. Pretty cool. I've actually, uh, one, one of the books written by a local author has been the book of the week here on the show a few years ago. Um, pretty cool story about Robert. Uh, number four, The Grove in Jefferson, Texas, which was built in 1861. And believe it or not, is home to a ghostly woman in white. I have never heard of a story of a ghostly woman in white before. That's crazy. Yeah, of course, you have. I have too. So number three, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, probably where I belong, Western West Virginia. Another staple on the ghost hunting tour for many, many groups was opened in 1864. And uh, a lot of stories surrounding that area as well. Uh, number two, Yuma Territorial Prison Museum and Park in Yuma, Arizona, has a history of stories of death row inmates haunting it, as well as a woman wandering the banks of the Colorado River looking for her drowned daughter, as well as a child in a red dress that pinches people who walk by. I wonder who that was. Uh, and the number one most haunted location in the United States, according to people on 10 Best, who voted for this. <sighs> Zach Bagans, The Haunted Museum, Las Vegas, Nevada. So, okay, fine. Uh, the museum has more than 30 rooms with artifacts from haunted locations from around the world and a building built in 1938 that also has its own ghost stories attached to it, let alone all the stuff uh, floating around inside of it. And of course, it's uh, made famous from Zach Baggins and being on TV. And I'm not sure what the, uh, in addition to the experts who uh, created these, the list, but I, I don't know what the other 10 places were that were voted off. Uh, but I can speculate, I'm guessing here, Eastern State Penitentiary, the Queen Mary, probably the Stanley Hotel, probably the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, and uh, throw Myrtle's Plantation, and the Whaley House. Why not? And probably anything in Gettysburg, for that matter, was probably on this list. But uh, pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty good list. And yeah, maybe Zach Bangins did uh, pay for the article. I don't know, maybe he did. Um, Jeez, got one more story, but I want to jump in. Uh, chat here it says, uh, you guys were talking about close encounters of the third kind. So weird, weird, weird story. So uh, if you remember the movie, the beginning of the movie, it's based in Muncie, Indiana. And uh, the opening sequence is police chasing a UFO across Indiana. Of course, it shows them like a mountain, which there's not really mountains in Indiana. Uh, but the police chase this UFO and it flies off. And, uh, you know, the police are left behind like a bunch of bumbling idiots, as they usually are in most movies. Now, the weird thing about that, weird for me anyway, and I like telling the story when I, I do UFO presentations, but I was personally born in Muncie, Indiana. That's where I'm from. And where I sit right now behind the mic is less than 30 miles away 
from where the actual chase that was depicted in that movie actually took place from here in Ohio. It was a chase from uh, Ohio into Pennsylvania that took place. Um, that uh, that story was pretty much the basis for what happened in that movie. So I always think that's kind of weird. Two little things connected there. Everything else in the movie I got nothing to do with. So I don't know, but I, I just still think that's pretty cool. Uh, I get goosebumps every time I see that flash up on the screen. Muncie, Indiana. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you don't want to ride around at night in a pickup truck in Muncie, Indiana. Be very careful. So last story tonight, uh, some sad news. I don't know. Maybe some people were happy about this. Uh, it's never happy when somebody passes away. But, uh, you know, the last couple of years, the number one story I, I've mentioned, the top 10 paranormal news stories. So, uh, you know, we, a couple of years ago, we had uh, Art Bell passed away, and he was the number one story of that year. And uh, last year, the sad passing of Stanton Friedman uh, from earlier in the year was also the number one story. Not sure if uh, this gentleman here will be uh, in that in that uh, rank of being that high up in the stories uh, for the year. But it's very sad. Uh, somebody who we've talked about a lot on this show over the last 12-plus uh, years, uh, James Randi, who's a magician, author, and the ultimate skeptic of the paranormal, passed away last Tuesday at age 92. Uh, most of Randi's fame came from his magic where he appeared on television and had his own show. Yes, the amazing Randy. Uh, retired from magic by age 60 and in 1976, joined the newly formed Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, also known as PSYCOP, which was a mouthful. So they later changed it uh, to the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, or CSI. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds like a TV show. In uh, 1996, he formed the James Randi Educational Foundation, which sponsored the $1 million Paranormal Challenge. And this challenge was set up to test paranormal claims under controlled conditions to see if the phenomena could be demonstrated. Well, of course, over a thousand people took the challenge and nobody succeeded. And the challenge was ultimately terminated in 2015. Uh, so... He's, uh, you know, people would say, well, he's the enemy of the paranormal, but that's not quite true. Uh, Randy's entrance to the challenging, uh, the paranormal world uh, came around 1972 when he publicly challenged the famed spoonbender, Yuri Geller. Uh, Randy attempted to create control conditions for Geller's appearance on The Tonight Show. Back then it was Johnny Carson. Love that show. Uh, while Geller could not bend spoons on the program, uh, he actually thought his career was over. He thought he was outed as a fake. But it actually helped propel him to stardom. It actually launched him into a very uh, much larger spotlight. Uh, despite Randy being viewed by the paranormal as a debunker, his, for, uh, his focus was on science. He didn't like the term debunker. He preferred to be called a skeptic or an investigator. And again, to summon the paranormal, he was the enemy. And while his views were at times, uh, in my opinion, kind of just as ignorant as a lot of the people who uh, talk to the air, to ghosts, uh, he was really an anchor. He was somebody that uh, helped spread awareness, helped spread knowledge of science that kept a lot of the claims in the public from getting too far out of hand. So he was really somebody who kind of brought a lot of this stuff down to earth and kept it from getting too far out of hand. I think at times he was uh, just a hardcore denial kind of skeptic, but at the same time, the paranormal needs that. And it still needs that. We still need skeptics. We need people who are grounded with science to be able to discover viable evidence of the paranormal. We can't let our imaginations take control. We've got to let science in there somewhere. We can't look at these little blinky light objects that are not designed to find ghosts, that everybody thinks are designed to find ghosts. We've got to use Science. Science is a process. It's not a tool. And skepticism, that helps keep the paranormal honest. But sadly, most of the people in the paranormal view skeptics, again, as the enemy instead of somebody who could help. So that's all I got for you this week. And again, 
will be off next week due to the presidential election and the fact that I'll be deep in a bunker and my signal will not be able to reach your ears. So I will see you in two weeks. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, and the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. Watch out for clowns. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.